According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15, and uh, we're wrapping up verses uh, 8 and 9, and we're looking to move on to verses 10 and 11, which takes us to some pretty deep, deep territory. Proverbs 15, verses 8 and 9, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. And so we're looking at both halves of both verses, uh, the wicked and the righteous, the sacrifice and the way, the idea that your way of life, your, the course of your life is a pursuit and uh, the course of your life uh, is called the race that's set before us. It is a, a pursuit. It is a race. It is a course. And, uh, and we all have one. The righteous have one. The wicked have one. Um, and uh, in the process of that pursuit comes uh, worship, sacrifices, and uh, prayers, as we see them there in verse 8. And that includes the wicked. The wicked are also worshiping. They're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping idols. They're worshiping the God of this age. They're worshiping, in some cases, they're worshiping God. Even though they're not saved, or even though they're in systems of arrogance and wickedness, they can be very, very religious people. And we're going to see some of those verses here today and, uh, and use those passages to warn us, to admonish us, uh, that we don't uh, put ourselves in that category. I've been trying to avoid the contrast between believers and unbelievers because, let's face it, a believer in carnality can be just as wicked as, uh, as any unbeliever out there. So uh, we want to understand that for what it is as well. All right. Well then, let's take a moment as we get situated here to... Uh... There we go. I get tired just watching you. All right. Let's... Uh... Take a moment as we get situated here to uh, uh, quiet our hearts, to humble our hearts, make sure we're in fellowship, and to prepare for the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your Word and the blessing we have to assemble together. And we do thank you on this Independence Day, Father, for the freedom our nation has been blessed with. Father, uh, it comes from you. We know that. We know it as a grace provision. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet we still live in a land of freedom whereby we can uh, worship, we can assemble, we can uh, enjoy the blessings that you've supplied for us. So, Father, we give credit where credit is due, and we boast in the Lord, Father. This is of you on this day, and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, this has been point eight in the outline, the contrast of wicked and upright. It's the contrast of wicked and upright, poetically expressed in terms of life course worship. All right, it's expressed in terms of worship in verse eight, and it's expressed in terms of life course in verse nine. So I've just kind of blended the two uh, to uh, describe this in terms of life course worship. The parallels are sacrifice prayer on the one hand, that's what we see in verse 8, and way pursuit on the other hand in verse 9. And uh, likewise, uh, you have wicked and upright in verse 8, you've got wicked and uh, righteous pursuer in verse 9, but clearly it's the same thing in both verses, and we have these, uh, these passages in parallel. Um, and so as we've been looking at it, we started with believers, and I should rewrite that, the righteous, which can only be believers, believers in fellowship. Uh, the righteous, uh, of course, have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit, that we should be conducting our lives on a worship basis. And uh, regardless of what we do for a living, whatever we do, uh, you know, pastors or lawyers or doctors or ditch diggers or whatever we do for a living, all of us have a, a worship sacrifices that we do in the course of our life. And so we've been looking at these. And did we look at all of these? We did not finish all of these. So we need to finish these and then we can talk about the wicked and the sacrifices that they offer. And so in Psalm 51, we learn that the sacrifices of God are a humble heart, a contrite spirit. Remember when David was confessing 
in Psalm 51, his confession, he knew that there was no sacrifice. He knew there was no Levitical provision for his murder and his adultery, that he was uh, slated for uh, Mosaic law execution twice over. Uh, as adulterers were stoned and murderers were stoned. And so what can he do Levitically uh, as far as bringing a, a sacrifice for propitiation and expiation? There isn't any. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins in uh, in that application. But he does say, as he's uh, asking for forgiveness and asking for cleansing throughout the whole of Psalm 51, uh, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so this is step number one in our worshiping, in our prayer sacrifices, in the course of our way pursuit. It is a broken spirit. It is pride broken down whereby we are humble before the Lord in the fear of the Lord. Hosea 6.6, 6, we also looked at last week. Uh, Jesus used this passage when he challenged the Pharisees in Matthew 10 and Matthew 12. But he said, go and learn what this means. He says, I desire mercy. Loyalty is the way that chesed is translated. Let me get here. Hosea 6, 6. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And this is the heart attitude that must underlie all worship. If it's absent, then your worship isn't worship. Your worship is worthless because you're absent the heart attitudes of loyalty and uh, the uh, knowledge of God. So that's Hosea 6.6. 6. Romans 12.1, we present our, our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And this passage, I think more than any other, goes so well I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Present your bodies. How do you present yourself? Each day is a day, and it's a day of grace, and I woke up today, and so here I am, and I'm, I'm going to be used by the Lord on this day. And um, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Whatever else happens on this day, Present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice. So how do you conduct yourself in the course of your uh, way pursuit, right? In the, in the Christian way of life, how am I going to conduct myself today as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship? So everything that I do should be a sweet-smelling savor. And, uh, and, and more than just, um, I'm talking more than just uh, when I'm in church, it's everything that I do. In, at home, at work, in the public, in private, everything that I do. When I'm living my life according to the standards of the Word of God, that's a living and holy sacrifice. And so that is my spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. That's it right there, conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so you put those two verses together and you realize that this Melchizedek priesthood we live in is a pretty big deal. That you and I function in this Melchizedek priesthood like we're studying on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. And that encompasses everything that we do. Okay, Now, can I carry that to an extreme? Can we get kind of goofy about it? Please don't, All right, But you can. And I think at a certain point you can become pharisaical when uh, you know they were they were tithing mint and dill and cumin you know and i think at a certain point you know you you, you bring your you bring your spices home from heb and, and before you put your 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 dill in the spice rack you go ahead and you you pour it out and you make sure that 10% of it goes to the lord you know and you only put 90% of it in your in your uh, spice rack when you're tithing mint and dill and cumin you're you're going beyond the principle to uh, to a Pharisaic insanity, okay? Don't go there. And I would say the same thing with respect to our Melchizedek priesthood. When I say that everything we do can be conducted on a priesthood basis in fellowship for the glory of Jesus Christ, um, I, I want to make sure that we, we're just keeping it in the in the broad terms that we do, right? So, for example, when you're serving the saints in the church nursery, and, uh, and your turn comes up in the rotation. And so it's your Sunday to minister in the nursery instead of sitting in the auditorium. And, and so you're taking turns and, and you're changing a diaper, right? That's a nasty, stinky, smelly thing, right? But 
it can be a sweet-smelling savor before the, the throne of grace because it can be, and it should be, in our Melchizedek priesthood. And so we, you know, you start your service, you say, thank you, Father, this is my service. And it's not just a chore, and it's not just a, a you know, a, an earthly thing. But you, you walk into that nursery and before any child arrives, before you even start, you sit down and you pray. You say, Father, uh, this is my priestly service today. I am giving of myself and my time and I'm serving the, the children of this church and the parents of this church and they're going to have freedom to sit and listen to doctrine because you know I'm taking care of their kids today. And, and just make it a prayer sacrifice before you even start. And say, Father, you know, keep me in fellowship. Give me patience in dealing with these brats. Give me, you know, these angels that attend Austin Bible Church. Um, give me patience and kindness. Help me to, um, help me to model uh, Christ and, and be a role model. Uh, and just, you know, you don't have to take an hour doing this, but just however many minutes you're going to do this, moments you're going to do this. That way you are dedicating that time as a priestly service. Okay? And you can do this with nursery, with Sunday school, with, you know, before Molly gets up here to play the piano, or Michaela gets up here to play the piano, or before Jacob gets up here to lead the singing, or whatever you're doing. Okay? Dedicate that as unto the Lord. And it becomes a priestly service of worship. Now, what else can be that way? How about your morning commute as you're getting ready to go to work and say, Father, the roads are kind of dangerous, <laughs> all right? So I want to be safe on the way to work and back. More than that, Father, uh, thank you for the privilege of working. Thank you for the, the grace provision that, that I have employment, that I have income, that this is my, this is my blessing from you. And, uh, and I want this day to be honoring to you. I want my coworkers to know, my boss to know, I want my customers to know, my clients, everybody I come in contact with today. I want them to know that not only am I an employee working for this company, but I'm also a born-again believer in Jesus Christ living my life under biblical principles. See? And, and so you can dedicate your work day. Turn that into a priesthood. Okay? And I'm telling you, there's any, you can do this with everything. Now, can you, when I say, when you carry it too far and you get to where you're tithing mint and dill and cumin and I, me personally, in my conviction, I would not, I wouldn't offer a prayer like that when I brush my teeth, right? Or when I shave, or when I shower. I mean, maybe you want to, I don't know, maybe you want to. But I, I just think, hey, if you want to start everything, it's pray without ceasing and everything, give thanks, you know? So if you want to start, before you start brushing your teeth, say, Father, thank you that I have teeth, you know? Whatever, Okay. Literally, you can turn everything you want to into a prayer sacrifice, okay? And uh, the more you want to do with that, knock yourself out, okay? Um, and like I say, I don't, I don't typically turn my te- to- uh, teeth brushing into, a, into a, a prayer meeting, but maybe now I'll start because of, of today's illustration. Maybe now I'll, I just convicted myself and, and I'll have to uh, do that. All right. Anyway, what else? I mean, we can turn anything into worship because of Romans 12. We're presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship and all that we do. All right. So that's Romans 12. And, and pay attention to that warning in verse 2, not, don't be conformed to this age. That is so real. We've got brothers and sisters that are conformed right now that used to be transformed. And they're not transformed anymore. Because they've drifted from doctrine and they've departed from sound teaching. And the longer you stay away from transformation, what happens? The more and more you are conformed to this age. And the more and more you're conformed to this age, you're, you're, you're going to start spouting stuff that's from the pit of hell. It's not from the Bible. And you're going to start agreeing with unbelievers about different things. And you're going to start saying, oh yeah, 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 God's okay with this. No, He's not. His Word says He's not. And when you get so conformed to this world, when, when I can't tell the difference between you and an unbeliever, that's a problem. Okay? And we're going to talk more about that when we get into uh, verses 10 and 11 here of Proverbs 15. Other worship, Philippians 4.18. Other worship, sacrifices, giving money. That's the example there. 
Philippians 4.18, that uh, when, when Philippi sent a gift to Paul, it was money, but it was also a sacrifice. So he says, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply su- supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so when you're giving money to the Lord, to a, to a church, to a ministry, to a believer, when you're giving as unto the Lord, it is, it is cash to that person or to that church, but it is incense to the Father. It is a sweet-smelling savor before the throne of grace. And you profit, not the other person. You're the one that spiritually profits. As it says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So uh, when, when you're giving in that grace box, that's between you and the Lord. And uh, you put whatever you put in that grace box, uh, you know, prayerfully in fellowship because God loves a cheerful giver. It's not grudgingly. It's not because some manipulator, you know, got you all guilted out. So you, you gave extra money, but you gave in grace and you gave us unto the Lord and, and make it a prayer sacrifice as, as uh, you know, you, you drop it in the box, say a prayer or before you drop it in the box, say a prayer. Father, thank you for this privilege. Thank you for truth. Thank you for a lampstand where the Bible is taught. Pray that the, the deacons will administer these funds with wisdom. Pray that they'll have discernment in how they spend these funds so that Christ is glorified, that they not be, you know, they, they not be wasted in things that it shouldn't go to, that we want more of these resources to go to, to uh, the ministry of the Word of God, to training pastors, to teaching the Bible, to missionary endeavors, see, things like that. Pray for wisdom for our deacons to be effective stewards with the resources in that regard. Anyway, it can become a prayer sacrifice. Uh, That's Philippians. Hebrews 13, do good and share. Doing good and sharing with such sacrifices God is pleased. And I love the fact that it's generic, doing good. Do not neglect in doing good. Before we get to that, though, we've got praise and thanksgiving. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. This is not, you know, in a church building with the music playing and the hands in the air, what they call praise and worship services or whatever, okay? I mean, it can be that, but it's so much bigger than that. It's everywhere you go. It's everything you do. This morning, a moron nearly hit sideswiped me and there was barely any traffic at all. I mean, it was a very light traffic day today, being a holiday. Hardly any cars on the road. And, you know, the one car out of maybe 20 that I saw uh, had this moron that was going to hit me. I think, wow, how many wrecks am I going to be in this month? <laughs> you know? And so when he didn't hit me because I swerved to the lane to my left, uh, and then he swerved back to his lane and made two more lane changes and then turned. I mean, what a moron. Um, anyway, when that happens and I say, thank you, Father, <laughs> all right, that's worship. That's, that's a whole lot of worship right there. Thank you, Father. That's praise and worship because, uh, that, uh, that guy could have, could have done it. So, um, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Everything happens. And is the first thing out of your mouth, praise God? Or is the first thing, you know, is that the second or third thing out of your mouth after you finally catch yourself and confess and get back in fellowship and then, and then uh, decide, you know what, I should thank God for this. Okay? And do not neglect doing good and sharing. Doing good and sharing. And I love how generic those are. It's very vanilla. It's very generic. It's very broad and and uh, and open ended. It's not. Uh, it's not. You know, Leviticus is so procedural. Goat, ram, bull. You know, entrails here and blood there and and you know, smear this and sprinkle that and 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 I mean, you talk about fastidious detail and and wow, okay. We don't have that in, in the New Testament. We don't have that in, in Hebrews. We don't have that anywhere. Doing good and sharing. Okay? Is that simple enough? <laughs> okay? So doing good could be anything. All divine good production could be anything. If it's for the glory of Jesus Christ and the will of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, everything you do is doing good. And then the fellowship sharing. 
These are sacrifices. They're sacrifices with uh, such sacrifice as God is pleased. Some people keep verse 17 in the same context. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They lump those into the sacrifice terminology from verses 15 and 16. Um, I, I tend not to think so. I think there's a, a linguistic grammatical break uh, between there. But in any event, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be uh, unprofitable. And there are, because of that language of unprofitable, uh, they link that with 15 and 16 there as, as sacrifices. All right. And then finally, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. We are stones for a holy priesthood. We are stones. Coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is why we don't get wrapped up over church building programs, and we don't worship or idolize. We don't turn this place into an idol, and uh, we're not trying to impress people with our huge building. Uh, we realize that uh, the, the, the church is the people, that we are the living stones that are being built up. And so when people want to compliment me and they say, uh, you know, you've got a real nice church. I say, yes, I do. And the, the building is also a grace blessing. Okay. And that's uh, that kind of, it's, it's funny, but it re- reminds people of what the real issue is. Okay. All right. And so we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so, yes, I'm an individual priest and I've got my priesthood at home or on my commute or in the workplace or my, my individual priest is, is that. But when I come here, I'm, a, I'm in a priesthood. I'm, I'm with my fellow members of the flock and, and this is where we share and this is where we really multiply the, uh, the sacrifices. We can appreciate that as well. All right, now on the unbelieving side of things. The wicked. And this is for the unregenerate and for the carnal regenerate, saved ones out of fellowship. They also worship. They also have prayer sacrifices in the course of their way pursuit. And uh, of course, Cain is the first one that wasn't even saved and brought his sacrifice in, uh, in Genesis 4 3. Uh, Proverbs. I'm repeating a lot from last week, I just realized. That's all right. Proverbs twenty one twenty seven. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? You know, why are religious people religious? What are they trying to do? Why, uh, why are so many seminaries packed out? You want to know something? Seminaries are at an all-time low in terms of student body attendance. And this is across every denomination, Catholic, Protestant, everything. Uh, Seminaries have never been so low in terms of attendance. But you want to know what what segment of the population is actually pretty high still? Homosexuals are packing out the seminaries and and going into ministry. And women pastors packing out the seminaries to go into ministry. Why is that? When, when everything else is at an all-time low, when God has sent a famine upon our land for sound doctrine, and a seminary attendance is at rock bottom, why is it that the homosexuals and the women are filling those schools and, and filling pulpits? And why, why does the adversary, well, clearly we know, because the adversary wants to pervert the churches. That's clearly. So yeah, they're really busy in the sacrifices. They're busy in the worship. They're busy, but they're coming with evil intent. And uh, Proverbs 21 nails it right there. Proverbs 28, verses 9 and 10. Especially the Catholic seminaries, goodness, when you're going to enforce celibacy on your priesthood and uh, they're not going to get married and they're not going to have children, then uh, no wonder they've got this, uh, that whole... um, Anyway, don't get me going. Proverbs 28, verses 9 and 10. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Well, what kind of prayer life do you have when you're not learning Bible doctrine? And he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. And it seems like these uh, 
pseudo-sacrifices of these wicked people, and they want to grab more people with them, take, them, take more people they can out of church. Uh, I won't go back to Genesis. We talked about Cain and Abel last week. Isaiah 1, remember the name calling here? Calling them Sodom, calling them Gomorrah, telling them I hate your, your festivals, I hate your feasts, I hate your sacrifices. God's got a lot of hate. In verses 10 through 15 of Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. He says he's sick of it. He hates it. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? You know, you're dragging mud in from the backyard all over your mom's kitchen. She's not happy with that. And the Lord's not happy when you're dragging your spiritual mud, your sin, your sin mud through his courts because you come to church all carnal. Who requires of you this trampling of my courts? You know, that wasn't written in Leviticus. <laughs> Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. It's supposed to be a sweet-smelling savor. It's supposed to be a delight. Instead, he says it's an abomination. He's not embracing it. He's pushing it away. New moon and Sabbath and calling of assemblies. You know, this is long term. New moon. How long does it take to get to one of those? And Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. How long does it take to get to one of those? I cannot endure. Uh, it says here, uh, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. From Passover to Pentecost to trumpets. I mean, months are going by. An entire year can go by and these religious people are, are just making matters worse. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. When you're carnal, the only thing God's going to hear is your confession. The only prayer he hears is your confession. All right. Anyway, spreading out your hands, you can do that by yourself, but then multiplying prayers is when you come to a church prayer meeting and uh, you're not the only one praying for something. Your brothers and sisters are praying with you. Anyway, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, prove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And see, this is what gets me with the social gospel and all this garbage that's out there and these liberal things. They, uh, they put the cart before the horse and they think if they do all these good deeds, then they can, they can defy scripture and they can, uh, they can, uh, no, God says he hates all that stuff. I've got nothing against uh, doing good and seeking justice and reproving the ruthless and defending the orphan and pleading for the widow. Absolutely. Verse 17 needs to be applied but it needs to be applied by believers in fellowship according to the Word of God, glorifying Jesus Christ. It can't be done without truth. Does that make sense? All right. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. You know, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of unbelievers, and they say, Lord, Lord. They can use biblical vocabulary. They can talk church, right? They can be very religious. They can sound like you and me. You know, they might even say, praise God. They might even say, hallelujah. They might even say, you know, how are you, sister? They might, you know, they got all the, the buzzwords, but they're not saved. When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, that's the clue right there. I never knew you. That's verse 23. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Everything they do as an unregenerate human being is lawlessness. Everything they do because they're not saved is worthless. Same thing with a carnal believer. Everything you do out of fellowship 
I don't care. You can deliver, you know, 200 meals on wheels. If you do the whole thing out of fellowship, that's, that's wood, hand, stubble. Then it's going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. But look what they're saying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. What's the will of my Father? That you believe in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's right. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Notice several of these things are in the Pentecostal spectrum of of Christianity. And it's sad to me how many of those folks are are, uh, all eager and full of zeal and all of their, but they're so misguided and it's contrary to Scripture and and a lot of them aren't even saved. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Wow, that sounds like a spectacular ministry. <laughs> wow. I had a coworker that was Pentecostal, and thankfully I know for a fact he is born again. We, we did discuss the gospel and I locked it down, and I have no doubt that he is going to be in heaven with us for all eternity. But man, he is so misguided and untaught and involved in all this Pentecostal stuff, and it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking that uh, these things are the what they are. But... Um, <laughs> he was talking on a Monday morning about, you know, what do you do at your church? Do you cast out demons at your church? And it slipped out faster than I could stop it, and I regretted saying it, and I still to this day I feel bad about saying it. But he asked me, you know, do you at Austin Bible Church, do you cast out demons? I said, no, we don't invite them in in the first place. And then I felt bad. Oh. All right. I was young. <laughs> Ralph was still the pastor. I wasn't a pastor yet. I've, 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 hopefully I can be more gracious next time. All right? But they're saying, Lord, Lord, we did all this. We did all this. Now think about it. None of these people, none of these people are at the judgment seat of Christ because none of them are saved. So when we're talking about judgment day, on that day, if they're not standing at the judgment seat of Christ, what judgment are they standing at? Great white throne, right. And so if they're standing in the great white throne, when does that happen? At the rapture of the church? No, judgment seat of Christ happens at the rapture of the church. Great white throne happens when? At the end of the millennium. At the end of the millennium. Right, when heavens and earth are destroyed and before the new heavens and new earth get made. Okay, So now think about it. Every unbeliever that's standing at the great white throne judgment, where were they yesterday? Before the great white throne judgment. They were in hell. Correct, they were in hell. Read, let's turn here. I mean, we've got time. Revelation chapter 20. This, is, uh, this just hit me about a year ago or six months ago, and, and it's been a while. Um, and I never thought of this before. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And so the present heavens and earth are destroyed by fire. He hasn't made the new heavens and new earth yet, not until chapter 21. In the meantime, while nothing else is in material existence... great white throne is convened. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Standing before the throne. It's kind of hard to envision, but how does a disembodied dead uh, be re-embodied in a resurrection of judgment and stand when there's no heavens and earth, there's no universe? It's kind of curious. Standing before the throne, and books were opened, Notice in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And uh, then death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. And as Jesus said in Matthew, depart from me, I never knew you. Okay? So take Matthew 7, take Revelation 20, put them side by side and read and consider the fact that all of these unbelievers, especially the religious ones, 
that are saying, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not, did we not? They have been in hell for at least a thousand years, maybe longer. I mean, you know, they've been in hell the whole time. If it's a church age saint, they've been in there at least a thousand and seven years. You know, church, uh, not a church age saint, but a church age unbeliever. Cain is going to stand here at the great white throne. And he was at least 6,000 years ago. Okay. All right. And so imagine being in Hades all that time in torments. Read Luke 15 about Lazarus and the rich man, or Luke 16. And there's the rich man there and he's in torments. All of these people have been in torments for thousands of years, many of them. Even a day is long enough, right? You've been in hell. And then you get resurrected out of hell to stand before the great white throne. What's the first thing out of your mouth? Lord. Yeah. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bend. So when they shout, Lord, Lord, there's been some mistake. This is wrong. You know, I shouldn't have been there. And they're going to go from, not from the frying pan into the fire, but from Hades into the lake of fire. The only interval is to say, Lord, Lord. And uh, there they go. All right. But very religious people, don't you know? Philippians 3. We've got this coming up in our Philippians series. Their God is their belly. And so the wicked have prayer sacrifices in the course of their uh, way pursuit. And... uh, Philippians 3.18, many walk of whom I've often told you, often told you. Nothing wrong with teaching a class a second time, two weeks in a row. Nothing wrong with redundancy. Nothing wrong with, in fact, it's useful. In fact, uh, you teach it better the second time because it was a little shaky last week. Many walk of whom I often told you. And now I tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. But they're still walking. They have a walk, they have a way, they have a pursuit, they have a race. It's just the, the race of the wicked. And in that race, they have sacrifices. Notice, whose God is their appetite. They have a God. It's them. It's their belly. It's their appetite. It's their lust. Okay? Whose end, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Thankfully, we're saved from that. Destruction, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's our word here with destruction. So, shall not perish. Our end is not destruction. Their end is destruction. And yet they have a God. And their God is their appetite. Their appetite. And it might not be food, some are. Some there's gluttons. Some people worship food, and and uh, that's their god. But it could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be sex. It could be uh, the, whatever the hunger is, the appetite is. There's sexual appetites. There's uh, food appetites. There's alcohol appetites. There's all kinds of appetites. There's entertainment appetites. But when you idolize your appetite, okay, that's the thing. Appetites are good. But just give God the glory when He satisfies your appetite. I have a good meal. Thank you, Father. I'm going to give grace. I'm going to pray before I eat because my Father is satisfying my, my plucker's appetite. Okay? Or, uh, or, or other appetites. Okay? Even the, uh, I mean, marital relations. Thank you, Father. It's uh, part of my created being and this is my provision and Father, you've, you've supplied and thank you because I'm accepting his grace and his provision within the context of his, of his appetites. All right, that's another prayer item. You know, better than brushing teeth. Husband and wife can pray together and should pray together and then their lovemaking becomes a, a, a priestly sacrifice. It becomes a, becomes a, uh, a worship service. All right. Ralph LaRosa taught that one time too. I remember when he taught that. All right. 
whose God is their belly, who, whose glory is in their shame. Not only are they offering sacrifices, they themselves are promoting a glory. They've got their own version of glory, glory, hallelujah. You know, we can have divine viewpoint and we can see something and go, wow, glory to God, right? Eliezer and Vinny had their baby, their little baby boy was born. Man, glory to God. We can glory in God's faithfulness. And we love to glory in what God's doing. That reminds us that we're not the ones doing it. God's the one that's doing it. So glory to God. Well, they have their own glory. They glory in their shame. They glory in, and it's, it's curious to me how sin does this. Sin can actually twist and warp and take something that the human conscience would find shameful. And then carnality twists it to where they, uh, it excites them. It arouses passions and it, it takes what was, it's not even human, it's not even normal. And twists it and manipulates it and provides a carnal pleasure. And they glory in their shame. Who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The best thing in our worship is remembering that this world is not our home. And while we're thankful for freedom and Independence Day and the blessings we have here, we know that it's temporary and uh, our eternal blessings are so much greater. And we're not confusing patriotism with spirituality. And, uh, and so forth. But in uh, the, the wicked, in their prayer sacrifices, everything is here and now. I think that's why certain folks get just totally unhinged when politics isn't going their way. Right now where, I mean, their whole, everything is rises and falls on a Supreme Court appointment or it rises and falls on an election or it rises and falls on, oh my, it's that end of the world if something happens. Well, I suspect that um, government is your God. How about that? I suspect that your faith is in a lot of turmoil right now because your faith is in a God that's letting you down at the moment. Okay? I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of that in two different directions. Okay? Depending on who's in office and who's out of office. All right. So, we have that. Um, 2 Timothy 3.5 Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Why are they holding to a form of godliness? <laughs> Why are these wicked people so religious? Why are these wicked people so active in their prayer sacrifices and their, their, the worship that they undertake in their way pursuit. Realize this, back up to verse 1, in the last days, difficult times will come. Okay, We're there. We are there. No question we're there. Men will be lovers of self. Item number one on the list. And the idolatry of 21st century uh, American self-esteem movement, here we have it. Every self-help book, you got rows and rows and rows. The entire bookstore is dedicated to lovers of self. Lovers of money. There's another wing in your bookstore. <laughs> lovers of money. Boastful. Another wing in your bookstore. Arrogant. Revilers. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. And yet they call it love. They call it love, but it is not agape. They are unloving, irreconcilable. <laughs> Nothing you do is going to satisfy them. You can't, you can't compromise with them. You can't, it's just, all you can do is defeat them. They are irreconcilable. Nothing you do is going to make them happy. Brutal. Wow. Uh, malicious gossips. Without self-control. That's the God is their belly application, right? I mean, if you don't have self-control, why, you know, just eat, 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 eat like a glutton. Drink, 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 drink like a glutton, like a, like a drunkard, right? Fornicate, 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 fornicate. No self-control. Instead of 
worshiping the Father and, and, and accepting His provision for our legitimate appetites. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. These guys have none. Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The Greek word is hedonism. And we know how that works because that's what happens in a prosperous nation. And yet, boy, you read that whole list and you think, wow, what a bunch of heathens and pagans and unbelievers. They're religious church people holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Well, if you're holding to a form of godliness, let me tell you, it's not godliness. But it's a form. It's a, it's a counterfeit. It's a satanic uh, alternative. Avoid such men as these. For among them, notice it doesn't say fix them, change their doctrine, avoid them. Expel them from your midst. They don't belong in your church. Among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And they find followers, and they find listeners, and they find people to engage in their things with them. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, the righteous have a way pursuit, the wicked have a way pursuit. Both sides are worshiping. Both sides are engaged in a priesthood of one kind or another. I think that's, uh, that's extraordinary. All right. Let me give you a teaser for next week. Proverbs 15, verses 10 and 11. Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Some people will put verse 12 in the poetry here. I'm going to stop it with 10 and 11. We'll keep uh, 12 separate. All right. So we're dealing with divine discipline, grievous punishment, and it's not for the wicked. Grievous punishment. It's not for unbelievers. It's not for the... um, those that are going to die and go to hell. It's judgment begins at the house of the Lord. It's the loving discipline of a father that's, that's ministering to his children. Sheol and Abaddon, how much more the hearts of men. So here's what we're going to look at starting next week. It's going to take some time. But temporal, temporal divine discipline, even up to the sin unto death, are the particular privileges of humanity in contrast to the heartless, invisible realm of creation. Okay? We're going to talk about this. Do angels have hearts? We have hearts. God has a heart. And I put it in quotes because uh, part of my study and part of my consideration was that Angelic beings do not have a cardia. Angelic beings do not have a lave or lavav in the Hebrew. Um, and that's not strictly speaking true. I think I can make a case for angelic hearts. A debatable case. <laughs> All right. And I think it's, it's, it's legitimate. I think it's harder to make the case that they don't have hearts. But they're rarely spoken of. Hundreds and hundreds of places that that lave or lavav is used in the Hebrew Old Testament, most of which are for humans or God. God has a heart. David was a man after God's own heart. God has a heart. And and we have hearts. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. But hundreds and hundreds of verses that use the word heart, I think three that I can find to demonstrate the heart of Satan heart of an angel, of a fallen angel. And uh, the damage that Satan did to his own heart when he fell, I think we can, we can see that with uh, the heart of Leviathan in the book of Job. In any event, 
So heartless, I did put in quotes. Um, and we'll, we'll discuss the nature of an angelic heart versus the nature of the human heart. And why it is that we, when we image God, why is it in imaging God that the heart of man is to be brought in harmony with the heart of God? And that's, uh, that's a whole study all to itself. When we talk about grievous punishment, we're talking about God's divine discipline. For him who forsakes the way, only a believer can apostatize, apostatize, right? If you're not saved, you're not forsaking the way. You were never in the way. You were never in the truth. Apostasy can only be conducted by a believer. And so for forsaking the way, he who hates reproof will die. We have spiritual death, operational death, the sin unto death. We have... Um, the judgments that God will place upon his children. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. And uh, we'll talk about the underworld, we'll talk about the place of death, where, where do humans depart to when they die. Um, Sheol is a place name, usually thought of as a place name. Uh, Abaddon is a proper name, usually thought of as a personal name. Uh, we, we learn in Revelation that's Apollo, Apollyon, the angel of the abyss. And uh, there's a lot of meat in this verse. How much more the hearts of men? How much more? That expression is, a, is a, an expression of ratio, of proportion, that says here's this reality, which is a reality, and then there's this reality, which is proportionately multiplied, greater. How much more? And so we've got to discuss the angelic reality, but then how much more the human reality. Okay? And so that's what we'll do with next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this time and your word. I give you the praise and the glory, Father, for all that you do and continue to do. Thank you for these students. Thank you for their diligence to show themselves approved before your face. Workmen needing not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, we thank you and praise you again for the freedom of our nation, for our liberty. Um, sustain it, Father. Keep it as long as uh, you desire. And uh, Father, we know we, we don't deserve it, but you are so gracious. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.